the classics. A car hits an old man. The paramedic rushes over, lifts his head carefully and says, are you comfortable? The guy says, I make a good living. Welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Hi, everybody. Welcome to your favorite critical thinking esoteric playland, right? Esoteric playland. We're back again. It's the same old crap, but maybe a little different this time. We're glad that you joined us. I am Brian Barnes. I am Patty Payette, and together we do a show that you're listening to right now called Critical Thinking for Everyone. You should know you're listening to it right now, but if you're surprised, then we want to make sure that you're you know, in the right headspace and that you're here for some good thinking thinking. It's delightful and fun. And we'll try to do that, too. Um, you are listening to this probably on 106.5 FM, WFMP, LP, Forward Radio, Louisville, Kentucky. That's Social Justice Radio. It's out of the Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville. Or you're you listening could be to us on SoundCloud. On SoundCloud, yeah. You are listening to us on a cloud <laughs> that, yeah. where we store over a hundred episodes probably of a lot of things fine show on the cloud mm-hmm. yeah it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that going on these days so our mission in life uh, when it comes to this show hmm. that is mm-hmm. is to take critical thinking out of the ivory tower as this sort of like academic sounding boring thing yeah a lot of people aren't really in to even looking at it because maybe it's too far out of their comfort zone. Yeah, or maybe they're Ted Cruz. Mm. Ted Cruz is a, an explicit anti-critical thinker. <laughs> I just threw that out there. I say. have no doubt. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he said, well, this is a bad idea. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not That's sure. your best Ted Cruz impression No, there? I'm not doing any impressions. No, no, no. That was merely his... That was merely... Um, his astral self. That wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't making any effort at whatever. So um, that's what we'd love to do. We'd love to do, to make critical thinking as fun and exciting for you as it is for us because we are total nerds. Yeah. And we want to help you with your stuff, right? Because critical thinking involves analysis. Critical thinking involves evaluation to see if the thinking you're doing is good or not. Um, critical thinking involves building habits that hopefully are good habits. Mm-hmm. So, checking, I mean, your, checking your biases. Yep, checking your biases. I mean, these are all things that are important for critical thinking. And so they really, they are relevant for all of us, which is why we have this show name the way we do. That's right. So this episode today is going to be so much fun because... You won't even believe it. You won't believe it. Um, You are credulous, but... He almost yeah. did a spit take. I almost got Brian yeah. to do a spit take. Yeah, well, I didn't know you were going to bust out your heavy <laughs> words here. What the hell does that mean, credulous? What does that mean? Do we know? You tell me. Wait a minute. You used it. It's your responsibility. What's this mean? Okay, so credulous is when you're easy to believe. When you're easy to believe? When you're, 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 uh, let's When you're see. easy when it comes to belief. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know if that's easy. It is it is definitely about you being easy though as opposed to the belief being easy. Right. Right. It's about us being Gullible. quick to believe. Gullible. Something like that. Yeah. 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 We, yeah, we we don't even try when it comes to evidence. 
Right. We're just like, oh, sounds sounds right. Whatever okay. someone said, is we're like, cool. we're like, okay, sounds yeah. good. We're not confident. Okay, we're credulous. So, credulous. so be credulous. the person we're talking about today is a Mr. James Rand's Randy. Mr. James Randy. Randy. R-A-N-D-I. And folks, I got to tell you, he just died at age 42. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm sorry, 92. <laughs> what are you, wow. You wow. <laughs> I got to get my head in the game here, man. Here, use your glasses. Okay. He died last month, October of 2020, at age 92. He was a nonagenarian, a beloved nonagenarian. In this description for the, from the New York Times, they described him at once Elfin and Mephistophelian. <laughs> well, thanks for telling me some things that really don't help me understand at all. Well, okay, okay, all right, let's get serious. James Rand, Randy. Yeah. Okay, so he, I love this description. Mephistophelian. Okay, <laughs> like you've never been called that before? Ooh, not to my yes, face. I mean, that's you. fighting words. Elfin? Have you ever become Elfin? No, I don't have that magic <laughs> nor the ear profile, I don't think. Okay, this is how the New York Times, I love this description. Ready? Listen to this. Mm. James Randi, a MacArthur award-winning magician who turned his formidable savvy to investigating claims of spoon-bending, mind-reading, fortune-telling, ghost whispering, water dowsing, mm-hmm. faith healing, UFO spotting, mm-hmm. and sundry varieties of bamboozlement, bunko, chicanery, flimflam, flummery, humbuggery, mount bankery, I've never even heard of that, pedophagery, and out and out quack salvery, as he quite often saw yeah. fit to call them. Quack-salvery. Wow! Quack salvery and pedophagery. So, folks, I hope what you're picking up. Right now is James Randy. Digs funny words. <laughs> <laughs> he liked to call it out. Like whatever that bamboozlement was going on, he not only felt he needed to call it out, he felt that it was criminal the way that some people preyed on other credulous people who wanted to believe in things like psychics. That's right. And magicians. He and thought it was cruel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, but but he got there later in his life. And so I thought it would he's there's so many cool dimensions to talk about James. So I thought we could do today. Brian, you have a lot more experience with James and using his material in your teaching and And he's given me money before. <gasps> oh, M Gee, I totally forgot his foundation gave. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, we are yeah. definitely going to talk about so, that. So, uh, so matter of full disclosure, I might be I might be bending things for the sake of my affiliation. So really, check, check your bias. Okay, I totally forgot, dude. Thank you for that mm-hmm. reminder. So we are going to talk about James Randi and what I love about him in relationship to critical thinking is he doubled down in a specific area of life where he felt critical thinking was lacking mm-hmm. and and the and sort of almost like a danger to the public that that people would believe and spend money on things that were nonsense yeah, Chic- yeah. or no 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 not nonsense no they mm-hmm. were flummery flim flam chicanery <laughs> humbuggery etc sometimes also nonsense yeah i think one of the great things about randy was he really provided methods um, for checking people who make um, mainly paranormal claims. So he, you know, a lot of times you may not, you might not really believe a paranormal claim that someone's making, but you also might not really know how to ask the right questions 
to mm. kind of dig into it, to try to investigate it such that <clears throat> maybe you would be able to believe or not. So it's not just about, like, exposing people, mm-hmm. but it's about um, helping people get the tools to be better thinkers in these situations. Yeah, that's right, because Randy thought that definitely people were um, in positions to be taken advantage of intellectually. And, you know, one of the ways that this happens is that someone says, hey, I have, and it doesn't just happen with the paranormal, but someone says, hey, I have special insight or special skills, and if you'll pay me a little extra money, then I can... Um, share these insights and these skills with you, right, and to your benefit. And so this is um, this is something, you know, that's fine if people can actually do it, but the stuff that Randy was interested in was typically stuff that people can't do. Yeah, so he, he really, I love that he, I love his, the trajectory of his life, and that's what I want to talk about today, and really kind of as an homage to James Randi. Sure. Right? Yeah. Homage so, um, okay, so here's what I understand, and Brian, you can, you can fill in. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not his biographer, but go okay, ahead. Okay, yeah. all right, but you're a big fan. I am a big Long-time fan. Long-time fan. Yeah. So, first, first-time caller. So... <laughs> So he started, so he was born um, in, I think I want want to say, well, it's 92, so like 1928. Okay. And then he, apparently from what I read, he was a skeptic from very early on, like when he was in um, religious, you know, what do they call it, Uh, religious education or in church, and they would start talking about Jesus, and he's like... No, that doesn't sound right. Mm, okay. Like very early on. Early skeptic, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. like even as a kid. All right. And he was sort of a troublemaker at school, like mm. super smart. And mm-hmm. they, they said, okay, you can only come for you can just come for the tests. I mean, seriously, he mm. was like a this prodigy from a young age, huh. just like okay. A, so, but where he really started his career was in the late 40s, he was an illusionist and escape artist, and he had a real big affinity for Houdini. Yeah, I know that Houdini was a huge inspiration to him mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he replicated many of Houdini's escape, like really daring, mm-hmm. credible escape tricks. Sure. Yep. Um, so they give the example here. This is from his the, new, the really nice New York Times obituary. On one occasion, he... Ex- extricated himself from a straitjacket while dangling upside down over Niagara Falls. So he just Houdini loved did that. Randy did. Randy did. Oh, he did loved that. doing Houdini that. Houdini did something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. He loved yeah. recreating those. But what the what the um, by what the obit goes on to say is he was not so much as an illusionist in his later years as a dis disillusionist. Yep. So he used a singular combination of reason, showmanship, constitutional cantankerousness, and a profound knowledge of the weapons in our modern magician's arsenal. He traveled the country exposing seers who did not see, healers who did not heal, and many others. So let's talk a little bit about the fact about why he, how he started out as a magician himself. And from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things he really appreciated about magicians versus, let's say, a psychic or uh, homeopathy, you know, uh, was another area that he really was skeptical about, yep, yep. is that the magicians were called it a trick. 
I mean, they were they owned it. I'm I'm doing an illusion here, right? right, right. They weren't saying to you, Brian, pay ten dollars, come to this theater, and I'm going to show my magical powers. Right. No, I'm going to show you my tricks. It's a skill. Yeah. So we appreciated that magicians were were upfront about. Yep. I'm creating an illusion here. Yep. Yep. And so I just wanted to clarify that really important point because for me that showed a lot of sort of his interest in. It wasn't that you couldn't be entertained by illusion, but it wasn't about manipulating people into thinking you were actually magic. Right, or right. Or still had supernatural <clears throat> powers. Yeah, and one of the things that he picked on a lot was various types of cold reading because, of course, cold reading techniques are what are typically used to get money off of folks. Okay, explain what a cold reading is. So a cold reading is I don't know you, but I sit down with you and tell you things about you. Oh, cold. right. Right. Like unprepared. That's what that's what the appearance is. The appearance is it's just cold. You walked in and I just start telling you about your life, right. which is, of course, what the fortune teller is supposed to do. Right. The Look at your hand. The crystal ball. Right. Yeah. The hand, the tea leaves, the all of it, the yeah. tarot cards. <clears throat> it's a cold reading. Cold reading is manipulation. Cold reading is sophistry. It is classic. Sophists were teaching cold reading techniques. It's all about manipulation. Right of the other person, <clears throat> and some of the best cold readers today really benefit from the technology. Right, so one that many people, especially in the Louisville area, I'm sure will be familiar with is Jonathan Edward. Right, so oh, in talks the Louisville, the Edward, and the Louisville area. Well, he's been here a couple of times. Oh, but is he, he's nationally. Oh, he's international. Yeah. Yeah, he's, okay, he's one anyway, of the biggest. Go on. Right, at any rate, this guy, if you go to his shows. He has a really different angle than what you see on the show because it's edited. Going to one of his events is like six, eight hours long where he's just pulling people out of the audience and he's sitting down chairs in front of the camera and say, okay, I'm getting, <clears throat> hello, whatever your name is, I'm getting um, really strongly, I'm getting an impression of an M. Is there someone in your life with an M? And then they'll Anyone? say, oh, my daughter, my No, they'll say no. No, oh, they'll say no. Oh, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a W. Oh, maybe maybe it's an E, you know, oh. so I mean, and oh. when you watch the so wait, un- wait till he gets like strikes oil. And then when you watch the uncut, mm-hmm. it's it's powerful. You go, whoa. But what you don't know is it took 20 times the questions to get yeah. whatever he got. Got it. 50 times. He's, so he's like feeling feeling That's them right. out. Right. And okay. that and the best the best cold readers, the ones that sit right in right. front of you and do it for money mm-hmm. in their little shop or whatever. They've got techniques. There are books written about this. There are plenty of wow. educational videos. You can go and take classes. And of course, masters pass it down to their pupils, right? Where you learn this art from right. someone else to say, ah, it's showmanship. It's also manipulation because right. they're trying to get you to feel like Whatever you're providing is high quality enough in the relevant area for them to give you more money. Okay. That's all, right. all we need. We need okay. to keep this is just like going to the strip club. We just need to keep <laughs> the money going. Keep the money flowing. No nothing against the strippers. They're honest up front too. But the thing is when anybody manipulates us to get us to continue to pay money for something that's never gonna happen, right? That's what Randy was concerned about. That's where the fraud is. That's where the deception is. And that's one of the main things he was against because it gives people hope. And he thinks that particularly since the hope is related to 
talking to dead people, right. he thinks it's particularly sin- or, sinister. Yeah, a relative or a... Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's absolutely yeah. unfair to prey upon so, people's emotions like that. So, so a cold reading in relationship to critical thinking, then, the person is sort of is sort of using these techniques to kind of to to uh, shape your thinking, to play with your assumptions, to uh, so so it's this uh, like you said, it's an art. There's kind of an art to it. Well, you read a lot of body language. You make certain educated guesses. I mean, right. these days. Um, and certainly in some of the famous cases that James Randi debunked in terms of faith healers right. and stuff like that. We're going to talk um, more about that. Okay. I mean, there, there were plenty of cases where, you know, people would do things like, in a, in a really great example from this guy Peter Popoff that was important in oh, Randi's yeah. career, mm-hmm. this faith healer guy, Popoff and his crew would use – <clears throat> information from prayer cards that people would fill out so they could get more information so they could be prayed f- for. Right. They would use that information as if it had been given to them by God. So somebody fills out a prayer card when they show up in the door. Five hours later, they're in the actual event, and that card's long gone, and so many other things have happened. Now someone calls their name and knows their address and knows what's going on with them out of nowhere and says, God told me, and if they can then get that person to believe that actually the power of God is working through them, then that's where they start to get the devotion and ultimately the donations. Mm. So, so uh, this article does talk about the whole pop-off thing and how, how that information was manipulated or people were manipulated and how J- James Randi, well, again, one of his things in life was to expose people like that mm-hmm. and their manipulation. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to, to mention about him is, um, so he was a magician and he was very successful. He was the amazing Randy. Mm-hmm. That was his name. Yep. And one of the things is that um, they describe uh, wh- how he gave up a magic. They talk about the fact that he was in a milk can. He was doing a milk can escape. Mm. You know, pick, are you picturing that right? Like a. It seems like it would be awfully small. <clears throat> yeah, it was awfully small. Okay. Remember, he's elfin. Okay. <laughs> anyway, he's in this milk can, All right. and the lid gets like a, stuck. You mean like condensed milk? Like that? <laughs> Stop. So small. And he, the lid gets stuck. Sure. And he is trapped. And the trick is going awry, and somebody, one of his, you know, colleagues comes and takes him out, and he said at that point he was like, "I'm done." Yeah. And he was getting older, and he said nobody wants to see an old guy like like it was almost like he sort of felt like I jumped the shark here, like I'm, <laughs> you know, should have been doing the milk yeah. can in the first. Yeah, place. the milk can. All right, yeah, so he, so he hung up his magician hat okay. and his wand. And he started really again working on how do I expose people who are milking other, you know, credulous people for money and claiming to be psychic. So uh, this was really interesting. In the 70s, he created, with astronomer Carl Sagan, one of our favorites, and the writer Isaac Asimov, because he had gotten a lot of attention for his work on uh, using, you know, sort of the reasoning tools to help quote-unquote debunk, although he doesn't like that term. We'll talk about that in a minute. He founded what's called the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Mm. And and the word skeptical and the word inquiry is very, very deliberate. 
So this was the organization promoted scientific investigation of claims of the paranormal and publishes the magazine Skeptical Inquirer, which you've read that, right? Sure, Skeptical Inquirer. Still, yeah. This still exists? It does, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. Can people find that online? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So this is interesting. Though he was often called a debunker, he said he preferred the term skeptic or investigator. Why do you think he preferred he did not want? Why? I, there's a reason it's written here, but I'm using your powers of magical powers of critical thinking. Why did he want to Now, instead of debunker, why yeah. did he prefer skeptic or investigator? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. I would just be guessing. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, <clears throat> guess. <laughs> um, maybe it's what? because he didn't want to maybe he didn't want to turn people off, but he turned people off all the time, so I can't believe that's a good reason. Yeah. Um, maybe it was because um, maybe it's because he held out some belief that he would actually find something. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, sure. that's part that of it. That if you're investigating, you're actually believing that you could discover, whereas if you're debunking, your initial assumption is that it's bunk. Exactly. See, you sure. are a good critical thinker. Look Maybe at you. I'm possessed by James Randi, <laughs> and he just wanted to make sure I got it right on the radio. So, right, if you're saying, folks, if you're saying debunker, your agenda, you're making your agenda as a thinker, explicit, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to disprove you versus a healthy critical thinking stance is I'm going to investigate. I'm going to be skeptical. Yeah. I'm going to ask questions. Right. And what's I'm per- going to be open. That's right. And what's particular in my paranormal investigation experience what I which I would say is moderate. I'm certainly serious. Um, I would say that it's a real it, it does affect your investigation if you go in and say that you're debunking. They won't apparently show up at all. <laughs> They'll get offended, yeah, and right. they'll just they'll just bunk out. Right. Yeah. So you got to you got to have the right mind. So he uh, he right took this term skeptic and investigator and really went with it. You've already talked about Peter Popoff. He was a you know a faith healer that he exposed. Well, a televangelist too. I mean, Popoff yeah. was making millions of dollars off this stuff, and that's the point. You know, and just like Jim Baker, who I'd like to malign for a moment, Jim Baker is a recent faith healer, also from the same time period, but who went to prison for fraud um, and then came back into the circuit and it has another televangelism show. Some people might know him. And he's, again, he's been, um, he's had some of his activities shut down by the Securities and Exchange Commission for fraud. He wow, sells, he, really? Yeah. I mean, he sells... Um, products through his website that, you know, he makes claims, for example, like his products will cure the coronavirus, stuff like what? that. What? Yeah. He's a complete fraudulent personality, wow. and he's back trying to get faithful Christians to give him money just like other uh, of his brethren have been able to accomplish. And apparently he knows no other grift. This is his only con, wow. and I guess he doesn't want a straight job. Jim Baker, wow. feel free to reach out to me. I'll talk to your <laughs> lawyers or whatever. You are a sad bag wow. of Wow. That is, yeah. So this you, is. You this didn't hear it here first, th- by the way. This is what got James Randi up in the morning. Oh, was man. Was people like this. Absolutely. And Popoff was was that for. Was for like. For that, for that before Baker hit the scene. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Not much before, though. So now here's where some of your connection to James Randi comes in. He started oh, the article. James Randy, <laughs> Randy Educational Foundation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the foundation. Okay. What do you know about the James Randy? Education? So, so it, 
it did a lot of different things. It did a couple of different things that I was interested in. One, um, it gave, it gives money, I assume it still does, to people who want to study paranormal activity in some sort of a bona fide way, using some kind of methodology, using you know, making some attempt with like methods. A, like a scientific investigation. Like scientific, but critical thinking investigations are also fine. Other methodologies, you can pitch it. Really? Yeah, you're you can open? Pitch, yeah, wow, really, yeah, open I love it. Yeah, we did, my partner and I just did an open pitch. Well, um, now tell us about what you pitched to the foundation. We pitched using critical thinking tools to investigate the hauntings at Waverly Hills, oh, which, which is one of the reasons why I went there so many times because, you know, James oh. Randy paid for it. Okay, now so. let's hold, pause right here for a second because... Yep. Uh, let's pause. Now, yep. folks, listening, Waverly Hills, in case you don't know, is considered one of the most haunted places in the U.S. It's right here in Louisville. <laughs> it is a huge, huge building mm. that used quite to be a, a grand s- example of modernist architecture. Yeah, like it's way up on this hill. It's mm. really quite a sight. It's this very, very large uh, Well, it's now abandoned. Well, sort of abandoned. Uh, it used to be a sanitarium. Well, and tuberculosis sanitarium. Sanatorium. I'm sorry. No, sanatorium. Okay. Yeah, sanatorium yeah, 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 yeah. for yeah. TB patients. Sanitarium, right. I think, is like where we put the Joker in Batman yeah. comics or something. <laughs> I don't know exactly. But yeah, anyway, exactly. it's different. And um, so Brian and I, not to belabor this, but Brian and I have discussed Waverly Hills at least a couple times on former shows. Sure. So we're not going to, we're not, if you're interested in knowing more, then you can just search under SoundCloud for some ghost uh, titles. D- you know, there's tons of stuff. Yeah, there's, there's tons of stuff. Ton of stuff yeah. So the thing about Waverly Hills, though, is that it's owned by some people now who you can pay to get a tour like I did years ago. Or in Brian's case, did you have to pay them to go stay, the, spend the night? Absolutely, yeah. You did? Okay, so. Well, James Randy did. <laughs> okay, so James Randy. So basically, you, if I get this straight, you and your partner. Yeah. Got money yeah. because you said we're going to go to this haunted place and yeah. we're going to use critical thinking tools to investigate whether or not it's haunted. Yeah, Is that right? yeah, the claim yeah, that it's haunted. Yeah. Is that yeah? Okay, right. and you right. took students with you, or was I, it just the two of you, or different? Well, um, the students were part of it. The students were, you know, just I mean. It was just another time with different conditions, right? But we were always going to the same spots and investigating the same claims, you know, every time. And sometimes, of course, of course, I would tell students what I was up to as well when they were going with me. So then I would have people also going back to that those particular spots in the building and also making their own investigations of those claims. So, I mean, okay, yeah, there were – I got a lot of data from students as part okay. of Okay. Yeah. So – Cut to the chase. Mm. When you went and investigated, mm. and and give just give us one example of somebody says, how would you use critical thinking in a haunted house? Give us, or supposedly haunted sanatorium. Give us one example of something you all did mm. to test the the claim. What would you do? Give an example. Well, I mean, it's really very easy, frankly. I mean, the thing that you have to do is you have to just put you have to make yourself available. Okay. Right, you have to ask yourself questions. You have to, and the purposes are associated. Your purposes are associated with the question. My purpose, of course, for doing this, what my partner John and I wanted to figure out, yeah. John Aaron's, what we were trying to figure out was, um, is there any reason to for a person who is not already predisposed to believe this stuff? Is there any reason to begin believing it? 
Okay. Right. If okay. we have experience. Is there any evidence, here. in other words? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, is there anything here right. that makes us go, oh, well, I really need to follow up okay. on this in terms of All right. my understanding of reality or whatever, right? Because okay. that's, of course, those are the kinds of claims that are made about super haunted places like Waverly Hills. And I mean, I've been to a lot of places and they're all, they all seem to be haunted to the same degree, but that's just me. Anyway, um, I think it's also John, but, um, but yeah, we were trying to figure out what can you just, if you just have a system of analysis and, uh, assessment, and if you have explicit intellectual habits that you can check in yourself and others, and if you have an explicit awareness of a dozen different biases that you could fall prey to, and if you have a strong awareness of fallacy theory and you make efforts to avoid known fallacies in your thinking and your partner is doing the same thing to help you with that, then is, okay. there, is there any good evidence? So those all right. are all of the conditions. Okay. Yeah. So now... So what we would do is we would just, try, just give one example. We would try to figure out what would be, what would put me at the most risk. Okay. Essentially. To so, gather evidence. Yeah. 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 And so we would do things like like for example they have a a thing called the Death Tunnel at Waverly Hills, <gasps> which was a yes, it was terrifying. <laughs> sure. So it's a tunnel that they built um, at the height of the tuberculosis epidemic in Louisville in the 1920s. They were, um, by some reports, for a couple of years, they were losing a, a person an hour round the clock um, to tuberculosis. And so that apparently had, seeing all the bodies going down essentially Dixie Highway was bumming everybody out. Right. So they built this tunnel so that the bodies could be moved down to the river without having to go right, underground it's like areas. a little subway it's like a i i describe it as like a tunnel that's in, built into the side of the hill yeah and it's, it's covered and it just goes it's got and concrete it's like a steps cra- it's yeah. got concrete steps on one side and then yeah. it has a ramp right next to it yep. and it goes all the way down and when i visited you could actually go in and yeah. i was like no no thanks oh no yeah thanks it's well, creepy and, and the thing is when you go in you can walk all the way to the bottom of it so creepy and at the, at the bottom there's no way out except to walk back up you have to walk all the way down <gasps> are you serious yeah so at the bottom there's a gate and the gate's locked right and so you can see like the wilderness outside the gate right yeah. which is you know yeah but the end of the tunnel is just the end of the tunnel so did you go all the way in oh sure and and so what we did what i would encourage students to do and what we would do is just go in there and just hang out like for hours just, just, just walk into there. the tunnel and hang out yeah we just sit there did anything ever happen no got fell asleep a bunch Okay, but you know, imagine this. Imagine this. Sure. Imagine you're I have a vivid walking. Imagination. You're walking down the tunnel, uh-huh. and you're getting near the end, yeah. and all of a sudden, the something paranormal happens, and instead, you can't get the gate. You have to run all the way back up the tunnel. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, terrifying. Well, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's exactly the situation we wanted to put ourselves in. Like like high risk, right? Wow. So what? Because our assertion was there's no there there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And you didn't find anything? No. Nothing at all? No. I've taken naps in many parts of Waverly Hills. We did a thing. I'm sure they still do it. I haven't been in a couple of years, but we called it the Waverly Challenge whenever I would take people there overnight. And essentially, one person, so you you can watch, they have... I don't know, a dozen cameras. I'm sure right. there are more, but like a dozen cameras that you can watch when you're in kind of the waiting area, which yeah. is the old laundry room. And uh, 
you can watch the spank of cameras. And so what you do, you'd have a person go into the place when it was empty, when everybody else was right. in the laundry room. And that person would need to take an object to the farthest point from where you were mm-hmm. in the place and then come back. And then somebody else would need to go get it. Right. And okay. so this is the Waverly Challenge. And so, I mean, I did, I've done that. Who knows how many times I've been in there by myself. Who knows how many times? OK. And um, yeah, I would just All say right. if it's if if there's haunted stuff, it doesn't want to talk to me. Oh, it does not. OK. So then did you and John have to write a report back to uh, I mean, like because you weren't debunking because nothing happened. Right. I, I was going to give a presentation. Yeah. Um, but then. For some reason, I don't remember now, that I was, it was at uh, the Amazing Meeting, which was Randy's annual conference yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. And for some reason, um, I don't remember now, the, the it didn't it didn't oh. go through. Like, okay. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to go okay. that year, and they really didn't hassle me about okay. whatever else. But so I didn't actually present to him, but I, to, to them about it, except just to say in email, you know, I mean, like I had to tell them what it was about before. Right. They said in your proposal. Your, yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I gave them a proposal, but I didn't actually do the presentation, oh. but I've presented all this material so many times to okay. students and colleagues. All right. So like that's that. really cool. And so does the foundation still give out money if people on the listening on the radio uh, yeah. want to try? Yeah. Okay. yeah. JREF.org. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. So we created this foundation and folks, this is considered one of the most interesting parts of the foundation he created a million dollar challenge and what's really interesting is he started and and, oh let me first explain what the challenge is it's a contest that offers one million dollars to the person who following rigorous scientific protocols could demonstrate evidence of a paranormal supernatural or occult phenomenon in other words if you can show some kind of supernatural power either you have it or it exists or something is out there, he and, you, and it's subject to these right protocols and yep. evidence, you'd win a million dollars. Now, it started off as $1,000. Mm. Then, he, then he put it up to 10000 and then it was a million. And yeah. it still, does it still exist? It does not still exist. I think it was oh. taken down maybe five years ago, something like that. But it was like up that. there for a long time, and a lot of people yeah. tried to win the money. Thousands of people tried. There was even a television show for a while. Really? Um, yeah, where you could watch, you know, just a, like a primetime TV show, a season, a few seasons, I'm not sure how many, um, where people would come on and in front of, you know, everyone in, in America try to try to win the um, the money. And, of course, it was anything, right? I mean, just really anything. And and his position was just that, you know, you have to be able to do whatever it is with our materials under our conditions so that we know that, um, you know, because Randy acknowledged that all sorts of amazing illusions and tricks were possible, right? But it's just that's what they are, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, um, so the foundation still exists. The Million Dollar Challenge does not still exist. But, but... The foundation is still committed to this work, and you can go online and read more. Well, it's not just this; it's not just the investigation that the foundation is committed to. They also have education materials. I mean, it is education foundation, so um, education materials what have, kind of have stuff been developed. They have. Well, they're they're mainly critical thinking education stuff. So, mm. um, big controversies. Um, they have um, like modules essentially that teachers can download. Oh, you mean like they would take a paranormal or phenomenon and they would like show you how to walk people through it so yeah. that it sort of like lifts the veil and they go oh that's well not so much not so much particular things but they would show it's i think the ones that they have are all 
actual historical events that have been confusing, that have been a function of fraud, oh. somehow that have been famous. Oh. Um, I've only used one of them in my classes. Well, what do you use? Um, the, um, the Coddington Fairies. Are you familiar with this? Okay, let me see. Let me tell you what I think it is. Okay. Tell me if I'm wrong. So right. there was, in the early days of photography, yeah. a photographer who claimed that he was he was photographing woodland little woodland fairies yep. and had these photographs supposedly of the fairies yep. like evidence i've seen them yep and some people believed that they were real yep and so that's that's all i know but tell tell us what happened so when what when was it well this was um this was the late 19th century right and this was um this was a time when i mentioned the other day i mentioned the golden dawn um, that was an esoteric organization that arose in Great Britain during this time that is the modern progenitor of all of the – I mean, I would, I would make the argument it's the modern progenitor of all of the um, witchcraft traditions and things that call themselves real magic traditions right. um, out of this organization, which claims to have esoteric roots, but in fact is just a modernist construction. Hmm. Um, but anyway, that's, that's okay. for another that's academic another paper. That's another rabbit hole. The point is that the, um, uh, at that time, it was popular, and a lot of wealthy people were involved in it. A lot of resources went into it because the occult was very popular culturally. And that's when you get the mediums, and that's when you get the Madame Blavatsky, and that's when you get the crystal ball stuff and all of this, right? And so um, th one of the people who was very interested in the occult was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Oh, the guy who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes. That's right. And he was considered to be a master thinker, right, because of the Sherlock Holmes stories. Right. Everybody was like, this guy's an absolute right. well, yeah. thinker, right? And so he, he has a very famous interview, one of the early video interviews before really? he died, where he's talking about how his thinking leads him to believe in the occult. And it's just... Wow. It's just stunning. It's fascinating. And it's only about four minutes, five minutes it's, long, but it's is just it available like, on it's YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's What's ridiculous. It it's Arthur to... Conan Doyle you know, wait to watch final that. statement about the occult or wow. something like that. It's just and, and he did it for posterity, right? He wants to lay out his thing. Wow. Because so many people are saying this isn't real. But Conan Doyle gave my understanding is hundreds of thousands, the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars to these photographers in order to pursue more fairy investigations and photographs. Okay. So there were these photos that were a bit of a sensation because they were supposed to show these real woodland fairies, but it turns out what was the, how, how was that quote unquote? Well, no one understood photographic Techniques. No oh. one understood manipulation. And so essentially what people were doing is they were, you know, using miniatures and photographing them. That's it? And painting on the negatives. They were doing that, um, which made it sort of a bright. I mean, these are just things no one had done that. Anybody oh, so, about, so, so so the photographers that were tricking people yeah. were sort of using some early Photographic uh, techniques, it's, yeah. it's, it's all optics. They were doing right. double negative stuff and like, wow. bringing, people, like bringing in other photographs and, and making it smaller and then taking the photograph of the negatives together and then it looks like it's all one shot. And, and how, how did they get discovered as 
Oh, well, I mean, the more the more high profile it became, the more people started looking into it in detail and they Uh, were eventually exposed. I don't I don't remember how, but but it was a huge um, uh, problem for, you know, Doyle, big embarrassment for him Um, didn't cause him to change his tune at all. But um, a lot of people went, oh, well, you know, that was that was promising. (laughs) But now, no, that's (laughs) trash as well. So, I mean, it was just another I mean, for people who were kind of watching this stuff closely, it was just another example of, well, we really don't have any evidence. Okay, so so what the foundation does is provides examples of things like that that teachers can use. Educational resources. And, And the idea is that when you teach someone how to kind of walk through That's right. a, a situation like that, That's then right. they can then use that when somebody like Lindsey Graham says, hey, there was trickery in this, um, yeah. in this election, yeah. right? right? There was trickery going on. Then the idea is the person can use their critical thinking skills to go, where's your evidence, Lindsey Graham? Yeah, for sure. I mean, wh- yeah. And, and, and right? if, yeah. And of course, what happens a lot of times is these visual techniques, they end up becoming um, analogies, right? So people use the visual techniques, but they don't use them in um, they don't use them in, in a way that is photographic. They use the same principle, like maybe in language or something hmm. to get my political support. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, we've talked a lot about that on the right. show. Right, and that's the danger, right. right? I mean, that's the danger of credulity generally. And, and one of the things right. that, you know, Randy is very concerned about is that the more the population is credulous, the more people are at risk of this kind of fraud and manipulation. Yeah. So Randy, uh, James Randy, again, built his whole career and his whole life around being a skeptic, teaching other people to be a skeptic, again, to avoid people falling prey to manipulators and sophists who want their money and mm-hmm. claim to be have some kind of supernatural abilities. So yeah. this yeah. was really interesting. Over the years, get this, he managed to antagonize many people, not just the targets of his investigation, like he would glom on to magicians who or not magicians, but people who claim to have supernatural powers and try to uncover, you know, uncover their real manipulation. He cast a wide condemnatory net, speaking out against alternative medicine, chiropractic, and religion itself, which he called the biggest scam of them all. Yeah, he definitely is is no fan of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Alternative medicine. So um, he, in the YouTube video, the TED Talk that you sent me, right. the link, and if anyone's interested, you can go and look up his TED Talk on YouTube, James Randi. He actually takes a bottle of these, of this thing Homeopathic called, yeah, calm, called calm, it's supposed to be a sleeping aid, yeah. and it says that you, you're only supposed to take like maybe one or two or something, and he downs the entire bottle right. and spends the next hour talking or 30 minutes on t- and no effect at all. So it's really interesting of his technique to go watch me take this sleep entire bottle of the sleep aid, right? And does not affect me at all, right? Because it's because it's nonsense. Because the principle behind homeopathy is definitely magical thinking. You think so? Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent. What, there's, what there's is no the question. thinking behind it? Well, the 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 core principle that Randy is trying to bring to people's attention, which I think, I mean. 
you know, the, homeop- the homeopathic medicine industry is a multi-million dollar yes. industry. And so, you know, I hope that people get fired up enough to actually engage me in conversation about this. But, uh, you know, the idea is we dilute product and we spread it through in a diluted way through what you know, our, our active ingredients are diluted and spread through the product in such a way that um, their essence is absorbed by the product. So, so we can. So, for example, you know, if we're taking a homeopathic sleep aid, whatever the active ingredient is, it's diluted as opposed to being concentrated, which is what we do, oh, or I compounded, see. right? I pharmacy see. stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And so, um, and of course, of course, sometimes less is more. There's no question about that. But when you talk about um, conventional medicine, the kinds of theories about um, using very small amounts, you know, a sw- you know, one drop of something for a swimming pool sized you know, amount or whatever. There's just, there's no way that there's any, I mean, science would say there's none of it left in that. I mean, there's not like whatever it is, the natural thing. It's diluted so far, it's useless. Got it, I see. Okay, that's helpful. But homeopathy says, no, the essence of whatever is in there. And so So it counts. It it counts. counts, It's medicine. It counts so much that it's medicine. I see. And that's why Randy feels very comfortable eating a whole bottle of homeopathic sleep aids, and he, he literally did it dozens of times. Right. Yeah. So um, so I love that he not didn't just go around trying to be skeptical about all these things, but his educational foundation is, again, teaching people to be critical thinkers. Yep. Right? Yep. That the bigger issue is how do you teach people to think? It's kind of like what we're doing, but we don't have an educational foundation. We have a radio show. Yes, well, and I'm sure he could have had a radio show if he wanted one. He could have had anything yeah. he wanted. Sure. So this is a great story about him that I have to share and oh, yeah. about him. This is a Go terrific ahead. story. Right. Okay. So when he was still a young man appearing in Toronto nightclubs and pretending to predict the future right back when he was a, a magician. Sure. Yeah. And his... Uh, he created what he hoped would be his greatest trick. Get this. This is a great this is so this tells you so much about James Randy. Each night before he went to bed, he wrote the date on the back of a business card along with the words, I and this was his real name was Randall's Wing. I Randall's Wing will die today. Then he signed it and placed it in his wallet. That way, if he were knocked down on the street or killed by a freak accident, whoever went through his effects would discover the most shocking prophecy (laughs) he ever made. He kept at it for years. (laughs) Every night, he tore up one card and wrote out a new one for the next day. But nothing fatal befell him. Well, it worked out anyway. In the end, having wasted hundreds of business cards, he gave up in frustration. I never got lucky. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Have you ever thought about Can't trying that? Trying suicide by card? Oh, no. By business card? That seems weird. It's like a Quentin Tarantino thing. Um <laughs> No, I don't think so. I, I never I never cared that much about people thinking I had 
some kind of magical power. Um, but I mean, it's interesting. It's just unfortunate that he wouldn't really get to enjoy. It seems like you'd have a <laughs> right because you'd be dead. Right. It seems like you'd have maybe a gimmick like, that you would then be it, able to take advantage of, and that you would then savor when it worked. But if yeah. you're dead, you can't savor the fact that people are finally realizing you have magical prophecy power. Well, you know, maybe for him it was good enough. It's like if I end up like Nostradamus. <laughs> Everybody knows Nostradamus. Oh, yeah. He also spent some time taking Nostradamus, Nostradamus's claims and taking, I mean, this is what he lived for. Is Nostradamus's to take this claims are some ridiculous things when you look at them. Right. They are ridiculous. And, and he, yes, and he, yeah. and he would show, like, people yeah. would be like, oh, it predicted 9-11, Nostradamus, right? And then he would, oh. right, go through and show. Yeah, yeah. So. It has this one random passage, totally unrelated. It's like, <laughs> just, if somebody in the past wrote something that we can connect to now, people go, what? Wow! <laughs> yeah, I mean, there has to be more than just it showed up, like something showed up, you know, that yeah. we can that we can analogize to now. Like they, you know, Nostradamus wasn't writing about airplanes. No. So here's a couple quotes I thought we could we could share and kind of bask in the wonderfulness that's James bask in Are you the ready randiness. to bask? Are you ready to bask? Bask in the randiness. You ready? I don't know about this. Yeah. Mm, no, mm. not that didn't mm, translate well. Okay. There ex- this is a quote. There exists in society a very special class of persons that I have always referred to as the believers. These are folks who have chosen to accept a certain religion, philosophy, theory, idea, or notion and cling to that belief regardless of any evidence that might, for anyone else, bring it into doubt. Mm. They are the ones who encourage and support the fanatics and the frauds of any given age. No amount of evidence, no matter how strong, will bring them any enlightenment. They are the sheep who beg to be fleeced and butchered and who will battle fiercely to preserve their right to be victimized. Yeah. Oh, man. The believers. That's what oh, he calls man. them. Well, yeah. And he and he thought that this was a real problem, just like others that we've talked about on the show, right? Believing without evidence. No matter. Well, believing and even when evidence is presenting, presented yeah. to you. Yeah. Because that's what happens, right? If we ally ourselves, we have to be very careful from a critical thinking point of view because if we ally ourselves with a certain point of view, then it's very easy for us to end up um, believing in the strength of that idea just because I've had it for a while or just because I feel comfortable with it or just because – Truthiness, yeah. Yeah, because it makes me feel good to believe this. That's not a good enough reason to believe anything, Right. right? Just because it makes me feel good. Right, although it happens all the time. It happens constantly. And so he says, we owe it to our kids to inform them and train them how to think, not what to think. I agree. That's it. What is the most powerful move you did as a parent to teach your son, who is now 19, almost 20? 20 today. (gasps) It's Ian's birthday today. He's 20 today. The day we're recording, yep. Happy birthday, Ian. All right, so this is a very appropriate question. I magically divined that it was his birthday and (laughs) conjured him into the conversation. As long as you can bring it back to yourself, I'm sure it's right. (laughs) (laughs) So what is one thing you taught your young son? What's one move that you could say you did as a parent to help teach him not, not what to think but how to think? I used to, when I would tell him that he was doing something wrong yes after we got through with whatever i thought was wrong i often not always but man probably way too much frankly would sit around and talk about how maybe i'm wrong 
Really? Yeah, like maybe I'm getting this wrong. And if any of these things about the situation are correct, then I'm the one that's wrong, right? So that it's it's because of these things that huh. you're wrong, right? It's not huh. it's not just because I'm saying so. It's right. This is why I think that. Right. Poor kid. God, he got bored to death with that stuff all the time. Right. But I mean, that was. I was dedicated to explaining my thinking, especially when he was being disciplined. I thought that that was I thought that that was important to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Not just a power play. Yeah. Right. And, if, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm against it. I'm against the power play. And you know, again, maybe sometimes it's really the right thing to do, and maybe that's made me a less effective parent over time because I've not been willing to just step in and like yank stuff out from under him, which I think my parents did to me and which I think a lot of parents do um, because I just always wanted him to understand and I wanted him to kind of, um, as misguided as it might be, I wanted Mm -hmm. him to agree, even if he didn't like that he was being punished, I wanted him to agree with the fact that this was a serious Mm. problem, Mm. you know, so anyway. I did that. Okay, like that. Okay, I'm trying to feel think. free to send your critiques and uh, subpoenas for uh, lawsuits against me for child abuse to Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. He's twenty dollars on a child. I think we still have statute of limitations. Uh, you can still get me. Don't don't everybody. It's Ian's birthday. Just just celebrate what a great dad <laughs> Brian is. So when my kids were little, one of the things I tried to do is if they wanted to do something. Like they wanted permission for something, especially if it was going to be kind of like out there, like, oh, I want to go stay an hour out past my, you know, curfew or just even younger before they had a, you know, just something. I would say, give me three reasons that I should say yes, that actually are reasons that reflect what I value. Right? Wow, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. yeah. Like three good reasons. No, they would just no. <laughs> they would just be like, never mind, I'm gonna go ask dad. <laughs> dad can give you reasons. <laughs> like like that's not right, like uh no. No, but seriously, I would say give me three reasons. but it can't just be like any random reasons. It needs to be reasons that mm-hmm. that play to my standards or values and sometimes they really did a good job well cool you feel like that was shaping in a positive way uh yes oh yeah i think so yeah in one of the best ways i'm sure you can relate this to as a parent then the best ways to see your kids to see your kids um thinking is when they started they start calling you out on your thinking absolutely yeah and i love that that that. happened maybe too early in my house but oh i love that because they would call me on stuff and Mm -hmm. i'd be like like one time i'll never forget my daughter was probably seven so fairly young and we were talking about her bedroom and she was going to finally get her own room because she was sharing with her younger brother and we were talking about the decor and she was like, I think I want to do, like, Spongebob. And, of course, and I was sort of like, eh, you know, and I was like, hmm. So I was sort of trying to, like, you know, suggest something else or steer her. And finally, she says, but it's my room. Shouldn't I get to decide? It's a fine question. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, busted. I was like, <laughs> I was like honey, you're right. You're yeah. right. Did, like, did it end up being SpongeBob? <laughs> I can't even remember. But I just remember the conversation where she was like, right, or when my son would say, 
mom, that's sexist. I can't believe you said that. And I'd be like, you're right. That was sexist. But when, it's okay if I say it. When I referred to all <laughs> military historians as he, and, and I said, you know, military historians, these are guys who, no, mom, they're not just old guys. You got me. I love when my kids would totally get me on my faulty thinking. Did you did you did you ask him to produce three female military <laughs> historians? No. Okay. I just appreciated the his <laughs> inclusive absolutely gender neutral thinking that That's right. really That's right. yeah. So I loved when my now as they get older as you know then they they get very wily with their with their reasoning. Yeah. So, I became I became a just a sinister sophist. <laughs> I would try to come up with all sorts of things just to throw my parents off. That might have been the early roots of your sophistry. Or was... my circus career. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you you, mm, you got a lot of tricks up your sleeve. How about your circus career? How's that going? <laughs> oh, we got to revisit my circus I career. I mean, are you, are you feeling, are you, are you, do you have some leads for the circus? Okay, before I answer that, I need to tell listeners what that Brian is referring to is our testing Brian Tracy's claims that we did early in 2020 before the pandemic. One of his claims is that what you think you become, yep. like if you think hard enough about something, it will, you can manifest it in your life, especially, you know, in just in your own being, in your own destiny. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, I want to be a circus performer. Didn't I? Wasn't did. that it? Circus performer. Well, here's what happened. COVID hit. Yeah. So circus performing kind of was sort of considered, you know, outre, just right? For the you small know, it's just, just do it in your home, do <laughs> it in the cool. privacy yeah. of your own yeah, home. Yeah. I did say this year, mm -hmm. and so the year isn't over. So it could Circuitous still. route. And you could, I wanted you to be the ringmaster. Oh, yeah. Well, and so we'll just have to see. I don't know that my route is taking me towards circus work. But you never know. Maybe we'll end up suddenly on one day. We'll be like, hey, here we are in the same ring. How'd that happen? So. Okay. Real quick, though, before, because we only have a minute left. Okay. We also have been tracking your happiness quotient. Oh, just Is, off the chart. High or low? High. Really? Sure. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I mean, there are problems, but... But really? You're yeah. really high on the happiness I'm quotient? I'm doing fine. So you know what? I think that means that you bottomed out around when COVID hit, around your birthday, mm. and now you're on the upswing. Or the bottom is yet to come. I'm just climbing. You're, you're just still climbing that yeah. magic. Well, I'm power. happy to hear your happiness quotient is high. No Yay. complaints. Thanks for your concern. All right. Yay, Brian it might be because It might be because I'm so pleased at your impending circus career. I'm just you're pleased to see this moving in the you're right direction. You're excited about that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yay. Yay. I love how we support each other. <laughs> and we hope that we're supporting you. We hope that as we go through, we all go through this week, we hope that it is a good week. We hope that you get the things that you need out of it. We hope that for everything that you're trying to accomplish, you'll recognize that the challenges, while serious, are definitely worth that extra work that you put into them. And that these tools can be useful if you want to spend some time using them to think about your thinking. Because critical thinking stuff, friends, it is for everyone. Even you. Don't let them bully you, friends. A gorilla walks into a crowded bar, and being a huge gorilla, he has no trouble getting attention from the bartender and ordering. I'll have a cosmopolitan, please, he says. The bartender figures this one probably doesn't know very much about drink prices, and he says, that'll be 12.50. 
I make small talk while making change, the bartender says, Hey, you know, we don't get many gorillas coming in here ordering cosmopolitans. The gorilla says, At 12.50, I'm not surprised. Thank you.